Over the last several years, I think we've been very amazed at how many political leaders have dramatically changed their positions, especially in the moral arena. Uh, many times you can hear sound bites from different leaders in our country and in our state who made statements 10 years ago, five years ago, and now take positions that directly contradict the moral statements that they made. And I believe part of that is the modern development of the polling uh, data that comes and uh, the pressures that are put uh, with media in our country. And many times our leaders make their decisions based upon public opinion rather than principle and what is best and what they truly believe. Can't imagine giving up your conscience for position and power, but it happens all the time. And that not only happens in the political arena, folks. Let me tell you, it happens in the Christian arena. It's happened much in the last few decades. And it happens in the family arena, where fathers capitulate to the pressures that are around them and are in their home. But every time that happens, you lose. And of course, the cause of Christ is hurt. Harry Truman uh, once commented on the importance of polls to leadership with the following insight, and this fits right with the passage we're looking at. He said, I wonder how far Moses would have gone if he had taken a poll in Egypt. <laughs> or, as we're going to see, had taken a poll of the people as they were in Exodus chapter 32. That's your little hint to go to Exodus chapter 32 here. And we're going to look at the first 14 verses. What a contrast we have here between two men. Two men. Obviously, we're going to majorly focus on Moses himself. But I want to read the entire section, just 14 verses, and then we'll go back and look at different key aspects of this narrative. Exodus chapter 32, starting with verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them in their hand. And he fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of e Egypt. And when, Sarah, excuse me, when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, Jehovah, I am. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. 
They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed there unto and said, This be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto you your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Quite a contrast, isn't it, between Aaron and Moses. Now, we looked at Exodus chapter 24 last week, and between Exodus 24 and this passage, you have God giving to Moses on the mount as he was fasting there for 40 days and 40 nights. He was meeting with God, and God gives to him the entire uh, sacrificial system, the whole matter of worship, many, many things that are included in this passage. More, of course, is related later. And so Moses values his time with the Lord. What a difference. He was willing to do this. I mean, this was uh, not easy to be there. He was willing to listen to God's leadership. And uh, obviously, Moses, to be able to be in the presence of God, his life was clearly in a right relationship to the Lord. Psalm 24, 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation." And then in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So Moses obviously had a heart in tune with the Lord. He obeyed God's call to be with him. He understood that God wanted to give him truth, and uh, he knew that this truth was all important and that he would receive this truth not just for himself, but for others, for those that God had given to him in uh, leadership there in the nation of Israel. And folks, remember, our relationship with the Lord is certainly a great blessing to us, and we have such benefits in our own spirit, and God does great things for us. But remember, the primary re reason that we learn the Word of God, that we hear from God, that uh, we uh, are willing to follow Him is so that we can touch those that God has given to us. I'm telling you, dads, if you sought the Lord because you want something to give your family, it would change your time with the Lord. Mom, if you spent time with God 
and sought his face because you wanted to bring the very glory of God to your family, it would change your time with the Lord. I tell you, Bible study leaders, you need to seek the Lord because you want to come with an unveiled face showing forth God's wonderful majesty and glory. You want to give the truth. You want to be able to teach it. You want to be able to uh, uh, empower others to serve God because of your example and what you're giving to them. And it's a very important matter. And that's exactly where Moses was. And I'm giving you this background because this is the key in the difference between the two men that we're going to look at. He had to wait for the presence of God for several days. He didn't let the trials that he was going through stop him, and he wanted to meet with his God. So we're going to look at two different types of leadership here today. First of all, selfish leadership. We have the story of what happened while the people of Israel were waiting on Moses to come back down from the mount. He had said that he was going to go and receive the law of the Lord. They had had that wonderful display of God's wonderful presence. We talked about that in Exodus chapter 24. And the 70 elders and uh, Aaron and Hur had been there and they had this unique revelation of God's presence. And the beauty of it was uh, just beyond description. And then they even were able to fellowship with God. They had a meal with God. An incredible thing that's frankly hard to understand. And the people knew as they were gathered around Mount Sinai that God was meeting with their leadership. And less than 40 days later, this happens. Let me tell you, you can have a glorious moment yielding to the Lord and God really works in your heart, but that doesn't guarantee 40 days later you're going to be walking with God. We don't go from experience to experience. We walk with Him moment by moment. It's not even day by day or hour by hour. It should be moment by moment. Abiding in Christ should be a, a regular matter of our lives. Many Christians make the mistake thinking because I dedicated my life or I had a great experience in prayer or had a wonderful time when God worked in my heart that now there's clear sailing. Oh, my friends, there's a very real devil that doesn't want you to win. <laughs> and uh, we, the minute you think you stand, what does the Bible warn us there? Uh, beware lest ye fall. And it happens all the time. And let me say this too. In working with your family parents, in working with those that you're discipling, in working with your Bible study and ministry groups, just because a person has a wonderful time with the Lord, which will really be oftentimes paradigm shifting and a great directional change, they need your help a week later as much as they did before that great time when they surrendered to the Lord. That's why we need discipleship one with another because there is such a battle that goes on. And so that's what we see here. And Aaron has been given the leadership as uh, the one that would be the high priest. There was still not the tabernacle worship, but he was the leader as the brother of uh, Moses and earlier had been the spokesman uh, uh, for Moses. But we see here in this passage that he does not declare his trust in the Lord. The people saw Moses delayed, 
And you've got to understand, these folks had come out of pagan Egyptian worship. Yes, they knew that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was their God. They had a sense of being a people. It was amazing that they had two million there in Egypt at that time. And yet, very much over the 430 years, Egypt had gotten into the people. And, and so it didn't take long, and they began to, uh, uh, to lose faith, a lack of trust in Elohim, God, and, uh, and they, uh, they said, uh, we're, going to, we're going to need to take this into our own hands, an amazing, an amazing thing. And, um, and so Aaron should have assured the people that God was in control. Nothing was out of order. By the way, it was fairly obvious that God was on Mount Sinai. <laughs> I mean, this is purely they wanted to take control back of their own lives. They didn't like the holy leadership of Moses. They didn't like some of the things they had already heard. What had been taught to them in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. Very clear. And they had stood in covenant to it. Uh, but uh, they had so many unresolved issues in their lives. But I can tell you right now, if Aaron had not felt the pressure of the people but instead had been walking with God like Moses had been, he could have stood with the power of God before those people in his position and had declared that God would protect them and take them into the promised land and complete the work that, he had, that God had promised. And I really believe with strong, spirit-empowered leadership, Aaron could have solved the problem. You can blame the people but it really goes here to the leadership. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy really deals with, the, uh, uh, with Timothy about don't let the folks there in that um, large church, Ephesus, uh, the First Baptist Church, by the way, of Ephesus, uh, that uh, don't let them overpower you. Verse 11 of 1 Timothy 4, these things command and teach let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Timothy, be the godly leader and example that you ought to be, and I will empower you, God's saying through Paul, to be able to lead the people uh, without any problem. And he could have been used, Aaron could have been used of the Lord to give assurance and trust to the people. You remember the story of Assyria coming down upon Jerusalem and Hezekiah was the king? That's quite a story. That's one of my favorite stories there in Chronicles chapter 32. Now, Assyria was the superpower, and I mean it's a superpower. I have seen some of the ruins um, in the museum in Chicago of Nineveh. Now, this was probably one of the cruelest ancient peoples in the history of the ancient world. They had crushed most of the Middle East. And so when uh, Sennacherib comes down and he's battling other major cities and saying that he's coming and he's going to lay siege 
to, uh, the, to Jerusalem, that was a very serious matter. And um, we read in Second uh, Chronicles 32, 6, And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him on the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably uh, to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Israel, uh, Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. Now you look around at the Jerusalem army, eh, you know, wasn't all that exciting. And if you could see out on the, the hundreds of thousands of Assyrians and all of their weaponry, it was pretty intimidating. But he makes the right statement. There's more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord, Jehovah, our God, to help us and fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the word, words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And even after the messenger of, of Sennacherib kept coming and taunting them, nobody said a word. They rested in the word of their leader. Isn't that amazing? And what did God do? He comes through and just decimates the Assyrians. What a night that was. Not a hand had to be lifted. Not a weapon had to be uh, brought out. Uh, God did it. There's more with us than with him. Oh, when Elisha's servant finally had his eyes opened and he could see the fiery chariots of the Lord all around him. Folks, listen, as we've had different things that are difficult in these and and you see uh, the trials around us from the world, as we may have greater ones, just keep asking God to open your eyes and see. There are more with us than there are in the world. Uh, we're on God's side, and thankfully, we're right with Him. He is on our side. But wouldn't, wouldn't that have been a wonderful victory? If Aaron had said, you can rest in the Lord. Look what he's done. Goes over the plagues. Talks about Pharaoh and his army was destroyed. Talks about all of the great deliverances through the Red Sea. And God can take care of it. There's no reason to worry. And God would be upon Aaron. And this incident wouldn't have taken place. And he does not rebuke the people's rebellion and unbelief. Now, folks, this was a serious time. They were questioning God's leadership. Where are the gods? Where is God? They were mocking God, the one that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. And they were wanting to make other gods and break the second commandment. They had just received several weeks before the second commandment engraved by God on the tablet of stone. Don't you think that's worth correcting? Absolutely. Uh, Exodus 24, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, that thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, 
That's the great Jehovah, I am thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, enjoying mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. He had the force of God's word behind him, but he does not rebuke them. Now, this was a serious affront to God. And so he caves into their pressure and tries to make the best of it till Moses gets back. You've heard the saying, don't let the patient prescribe the medicine. (laughs) Or another uh, saying, a man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd. And how true it is. Uh, You can't please by cooperating with disobedience. You can't cave into disobedience, even if it is a major view of those you're trying to lead. We have to follow the Lord. And so he was afraid for himself. You can tell the real leader was who? It was Moses. Aaron did not have that force of leadership. And, um, And so he was afraid for himself. And he covers his weak leadership through pious worship. Instead of them maybe making pagan gods or whatever, he came up with this idea to maintain worship to Jehovah, but in the form of a golden calf. Because he's the one that gives the instructions here about the golden earrings and and to bring them and, and break them off. And they were brought to Aaron and he Uh, fashions with a graving tool a molten calf and that is that's just a tragic tragic breaking of the second commandment because really the second commandment is making a graven image of God especially calling it Jehovah God by the way is a golden calf the great I am is the golden calf the eternal God. What a mockery. What a horrible thing. And so he tries to cover and rationalize. God's not fooled. Who do we think we are? God is not mocked. Now, we cannot fool him. Malachi 1.6, the Israelites there at the end of the Old Testament dispensation We're uh, trying to fool God in regard to their sacrifices. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be father, where is mine honor? If I be master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? You've offered polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if he offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if he offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. Same kind of spirit. We're worshiping you, Lord, our way with contemptible and inferior sacrifices, not according to the word of God He said, the governor wouldn't be pleased with you, and neither is God. Oh, I tell you, weak, compromising leadership. Dads, you've got to love your children. You've got to communicate with them. You've got to get their hearts. But don't compromise. They're going to be pulled by the flesh. They're going to be pulled by the world. But don't meet them halfway. 
You are to be the model. You are to be the leader. You are to say, thus saith the Lord. I understand your battle. I was there too. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't blame the children. I'm telling you, when, when, uh, when a dad allows compromise in the home, you know, if there isn't the proper kind of uh, adornment or uh, clothing or isn't the right kind of things that are involved, and those children are living under a, a parent's house, um, dad, that is, there's something wrong. You are, are uh, yielding to the pressure of your family. And wives, let me say this, support your husband's biblical leadership. Many times a husband does not take the stand he ought to in his home because a wife will get weak because she's worried about what the child, uh, children think or they themselves are compromising. Now again, I'm not talking about being rigid. I'm not talking about uh, being harsh or hard. I'm talking about being biblical with the love of Christ. And I remember so many times my dad said, you're not doing that, but he was kind, gracious, and would give me an explanation, but you're not doing that. We don't do that. We're going to be biblical. And it would resonate in my heart. We just didn't do certain things. You know, I just didn't go places where other kids went. I wasn't in situations. Praise God for a good old-fashioned dad. And so let's don't be Aaron's father. I really encourage you uh, to, to be strong. All right. Well, let's look at the contrast here. Second... Uh, uh, point is sacrificial leadership, Moses. Uh, and the Lord talks to Moses here, and he says, Get thee, thee down for thy people. <laughs> oh boy, uh, Moses is responsible here for his people that thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I'm in verse 7. And they've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them and made this golden calf and worshipped it. And, um, and so the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and, I, and behold it is a stiff-necked people. Now, he understands the desperate condition of those that he is leading. He listened to what God said here. He realized the responsibility he carried. Now, let me just say, whose people were they really? God's people, just like we all are. And who led them out of Egypt, really? God did. But you're the leader, Moses. And so Moses accepted that leadership. You can't escape the pressure of leadership. When God has made you a leader in a family, when he's made you a leader in a ministry, when he's made you a leader in other places where people are looking to you, you can't duck your head and say, Lord, that's your problem. Because God uses people in this dispensation to accomplish his purpose. We're the, as I mentioned yesterday in our sessions, we're the light of the world. We are the ones to give the gospel. And we are also the ones to represent the Lord and to lead. So I think it's very instructive that uh, he, uh, he said unto them, 
uh, or he said unto Moses, thy people, which thou brought out of the land uh, of Egypt. And so very clearly he listened to the Lord's word and he understood the responsibility that he carried. Let me ask you, do you think the Lord felt the responsibility of us when he was here on this earth? On multiple occasions, Jesus wept. On multiple occasions, he groaned. He was weary. He did not shirk the responsibility that the Father had given him to lead us out of destruction to salvation. We often quote, I've just recently quoted it and spoke on it here, Matthew 9, 36, and when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So he had the same kind of heart that the Lord had. He understood the consequences. They're not going to realize the promises of God. God had promised to bring them into the land. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been given that promise, and the timing was right. But if they didn't turn to the Lord, that they, they would not have the promises of God realized, and God may, would have to judge. As I said, God is not mocked. Don't be deceived about it. He understood that. And so what's he going to do here? God makes it clear, um, I have a holy anger. Look back with me at verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Now, you see, Moses could have rationalized and thought, well, he'll still keep his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by making a nation through me. Now, that would obviously be a selfish way to, to look at it. Secondly, there's another problem. How many tribes would be representative of the 12 tribes that were promised the inheritance? One, the tribe of Levi, of all tribes. <laughs> Moses knew that wasn't going to work. And so he, he understood that the people were in trouble. God had every right to be angry, folks. And when I say angry, it was a holy, we're going to talk about that as we look at the attributes of God. He had every right to have wrath against the people. And he had every right to say that they deserved to be consumed. So Moses did the only thing that he could do, but it was the key thing to do. He interceded for the people. On the basis of God's glory and His Word. Not to have things go well for Him. Not even for sentimentality for the people. But God's name was at stake. God's glory was at stake. He was so jealous for the glory of God. He had spent that time with the Lord. He understood the glorious holiness and love and mercy and long-suffering of God that he, his heart broke when he thought of God having to do something that would diminish his glory and would diminish his testimony. And so he puts himself between the people and God. Now let me stop here, folks. 
Moses was obviously very upset, and we'll see that when he sees the people dancing and what he does with the tables of stone. He is never condemned for that, by the way. He had the heart of God. But here we see him not taking things into his own hand initially, not reacting with great indignation because they had let him down so many times dads get mad, moms get mad, leaders get mad, totally destroys what you're trying to do. Folks, the minute you're burdened about someone under your care, you need wisdom, you need direction, and you need deliverance, you need to get on your face before God. I'm telling you folks, the prayer closet is the only place you can go when your heart's about to break because people are going the wrong direction. I know I've been there on a number of occasions. But I'm telling you, that's the place to go. Because more is with us than there is in the world. He is God. And when you have His heart and you go to Him in prayer, I'm telling you, you are resourcing the greatest power in the world, and He is with you. He wants to deliver His people. And so He intercedes and he holds God to his promises. He said, don't do this, Lord. You've brought them out with great power out of Egypt. And the Egyptians should mock you and say, you brought them out to destroy them. And we've got to remember, Lord, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you made a promise that all of Jacob's sons, uh, the tribes, would inherit the land of Canaan. And you said you would multiply your seed. You see, he wasn't tempted at all by becoming now the one that would have a nation named after him. Because he wasn't concerned about Moses, he was concerned about God. By the way, that's when you get prayer accomplished. Out of selfish prayer, consume it on your own lust, to spirit-empowered, sacrificial, heart-cry prayer that God puts in your heart. That's why Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, 23, as he was burdened for the people that they wanted a king for the wrong reason, and God, again, was very uh, much dealing with the people. He said, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord, see, his burden was the Lord, in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. So he clearly believed that intercession would make a difference. And uh, he really believed that God would answer this prayer. And it is, we're going to be looking at this, but let me just end with some of these thoughts. He believed that more than doing anything humanly, he should be praying, and he stood between them and the Lord. And if you'll go down with me to verse 30, uh, verse 31, and, the Mo and Moses returned unto the Lord and said, oh, this people, he's now been down there, he's seen all that's been going on. This people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. And here's one of the most remarkable verses in all of Scripture. 
Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Send me to everlasting judgment if that's what it takes to forgive these people. Does that sound like somebody else you know? It's our Savior. Paul had the same heart, said the same thing. I can't imagine that. I'll be honest with you. He loved the Lord. Eternity with God would have meant everything. And yet he was so in line with God's heart. He loved so deeply. He was willing to give anything. His own eternal future, if that would bring deliverance for the people of God. Folks, obviously God was not going to take him up on it because God's promises were that he would have eternal life. But this is the heart that stopped the hand of God from destroying Israel and eventually, as we're going to see, allowed God to even go with the nation of Israel into the land. One man stood between heaven and hell for these people. The most loving thing you can do when you have someone directly under your leadership or anyone that you're burdened about, but especially those for whom you are responsible, is to love them so deeply, you will go to prayer, willing to let God do whatever, and you stay there till you see victories. You have the wisdom of God, the direction of God. I'm telling you, revival can be accessed by prayer. People can be reached by prayer. We have to be patient. But true love is intercession. We often quote from Spurgeon, he says, earnest intercession will be sure to bring love with it. I do not believe you can hate a man for whom you habitually pray. By the way, if you are struggling about an attitude towards someone, let the Spirit of God get a hold of your heart and pray through for him until you have the love of God for him. The best thing you can do is intercede for people and it'll change your heart. You can't have a wrong attitude to somebody you're praying for. It's a wonderful, freeing reality. If you dislike any brother Christian, pray for him doubly, not only for his sake, but for your own, that you may be cured of prejudice and saved from all unkind feeling. Good advice. But you know, Moses, could he not have really just said, this is too much, Lord, I can't take it anymore. You wouldn't blame him, all that he'd been through. And he'd been fasting this whole time. He was weak. But for the glory of God, for the promises and covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the sake of those dear people, he calls upon God to deliver. And he's willing to even give his eternity in heaven, if that's what it took. For the people to be saved. And God 
answered. And folks, this is pretty dramatic, but it gives you the heart of the kind of intercession that makes a difference. You read of men and women who have been burdened for people groups, have been burdened for cities, have been burdened for families, and you read of the fact that God gets a hold of their heart and with great exercise of soul, they begin to enter into the very heart of Jesus and pray Christ's prayers. And then God moves. I think America needs some prayer. What do you think? I think Menominee Falls needs some prayer. We're responsible for this village. Milwaukee needs prayer. And we as believers need to be praying for one another. So I'm always stirred. I don't believe I'm really giving half the emphasis to this as I really could or should. But a nation was saved because one man knew God and he prayed.